trying to be so good They'll stone you just like they said they would They'll stone you when you're trying to go home They'll stone you when you're there all alone But I would not feel so all alone Everybody must get stoned Well, they'll stone you when you're walking on the street Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, here we are. It's a Monday right. uh, afternoon. And we were, yeah, it was... Uh, we were totally uninspired until a half an hour ago. A half an hour ago, but here we go. I mean, we are, we, inspiration is struck. Have no fear. Inspiration is here in the bunker. Now you're going to become a rapper. What would your rapper name be? You were a DJ. What was your DJ name? Sky. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Scott. I'm here to DJ. Right, okay. I DJed a place in North Philly once, like like Badlands area. Like wait, wait, right, Fifth and me- Lehigh. The guy, the, the bouncer had a flak jacket mm-hmm. and a nine millimeter. And I was just like, I'm Scott the DJ. I can pull up my Subaru. All right, can, can you, all right, all right, here we are. We're, we're in the house, all right, and you know, the lights are gone. So give us your intro line. When you were Scott, I, I didn't do intro. I just, just played music. Give, give me, well, you had to say, "Hey, hi, everybody." No, I mean, maybe I don't think I did. I, I mean, I it was I was not that kind of DJ. I, what, what was your opening tune? What would you get? What would you do? Whatever to, appropriate for the. Cl- I, didn't, I wasn't like I wasn't a personality. I was a guy paid to like cue songs. It wasn't like DJ Scott spinning the tunes. It was like DJ uh, X and X Entertainment run by Nick, and I was his lackey. It was not. Wow, this is what a letdown. Nah, yes, it was. I, my, my fan, I have this great kind of, what it's, color glasses? Did you wear your red glasses? Uh, no, I think I had glasses very similar to these I have on. They were kind of, I've always, these are always the, the, is it the Mayweather or Mayfair? I mean, even I have a rap name for my, there's a video out there of me rapping somewhere. And not for the kids. I was a little Bill. Yeah, you are a little Bill. I don't have that kind of rap persona. By the way, I want to say though, uh, we're trying to sort of, you know, invite some partners into the projects we're doing. We're trying to expand some things a little bit. And so we have three patrons. Who, I saw that. Thank so you very much. we want to thank Josh Redder and we want to thank Samantha Blythe and Jordan Morseberger. They're our first three patrons. That's and, exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, and there are more on the way. Uh, there are some folks who are who have said that they will support the bunker project here, and so we thank you very much for that. And also, if you have suggestions, uh, if you want to be a patron, please sign up. I mean, we, 150 patrons would allow me to expand the podcast empire into outer space. Not really, wow. but uh, but you know, yeah. But anyway, we're hoping to do some things, and we've gotten some great feedback on the podcast, and so. We, we, if you would love to sponsor us, we'd welcome that. And also, we're working on the T-shirts. And by the way, please uh, don't forget, it's been a, we've been up for a while, but those reviews on iTunes helps us in, that, that in does help. ways. So feel free to uh, give us a review on iTunes. Yes, please do that. So, right. Bill, here we're going to talk about the Pope, the current Pope, and Rob Bell. <laughs> All right, wait a minute. Say, say that over with a little more pose. Pause between the two. We're going to talk about. Go ahead. Pope Francis. One. Pope two, Francis. Three. The four, first. Five. And. And Rob Bell. There we go. So I, so I saw that the Pope made a statement on Thursday of last week uh, over um, 
things that some people thought was well. I'll just say I'll just say. Oh, also, I realized there is a Breibart uh, version of Roman Catholic media. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There, so I was angry, trying. To, they yeah. didn't even give us the link, but um, yeah. So basically, uh, apparently, what was heard in the radio address in the mass was the faith passes, so to speak, through a distiller and becomes an ideology. Say that again. That he was critical of, of when the faith passes, so to speak, through a distiller and becomes ideology. Right. And ideology does not beckon people. In, ide- in ideologies, there is not Jesus in his tenderness, his love, his meekness. And, and ideologies are rigid always. And he instructed, apparently, his fo- Jesus instructed his followers, according to the Pope, to be witnesses. Oh, actually, that's not, that's from the, no, sorry. That's actually editorializing. But that's what the Pope said. He came under a lot of criticism from mostly that I could find conservative Catholics saying, we're all ide- ideologues. Ideology is just a, a map of ideas that sort of help you see the world. And- well, and yeah, they, they saw that as a kind of smokescreen for him to uh, water down, you know, official teachings of the church. Now, maybe it might be helpful, again, what to, to go through some of the things that maybe the Pope has in mind when he's saying these things and what gets these people particularly upset. I mean, some of the things I, I read, it, read it as well, it seems like people are nervous about him maybe being more welcoming to gay and lesbian folks, maybe being— Although he has not come out against—I mean, he's come out for traditional marriage and has not sort of— has not changed the Catholic Church's teaching on divorce, although he said maybe pastorally— Gay and lesbian Catholics and divorced, and including divorced and remarried Catholics, should be admitted to communion. Yeah, but in some levels, giving parishes the leeway to attack pastorally. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so it it's something in in many ways that um, you know part of the we've talked about this a lot. But one of the fallouts from the modern project is whether you're talking about liberals or fundamentalists. They they absolutize things. They think there's absolute truth in a way that the church didn't used to think about that. Christians used to not think about things in the same way that the post-enlightenment, uh, whatever you want to call it, rationality or extreme logic, there used to be a little more room for more local and, and pastoral interpretation of things. Yeah, this is why Calvin pleaded for Servetus not to be burned at the stake, just to be executed in a humane way. But Calvin did not prevail. It's one of those things, like the elders at Geneva, the, the big council, or it was called the, 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 there was the big and little council, and most of them didn't like Calvin. And, and, and when, Calvin, if he hadn't asked for the clemency, Servetus might have got it. Yeah. Well, of course, we know what happened. I mean, as Servetus was on the, on the stake burning, Calvin was running into the hills, and he got his long gun, and he shot him. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the last of Mohicans. I always get those two things mixed up. Daniel Day-Lewis, by the way, has announced he's retired from That's acting. particularly what was on my mind there, one of the great actors of our time. If we, but, if we announced we were retired from podcasting, I bet you we would get at least eight comments on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, three of them favorable. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Three of them would celebrate that. It's about damn time. <laughs> so, anyway, so... Um, this is one. This is yeah, a Catholic version. There's a lot of people that uh, that are uh, Francis makes uncomfortable, uh, including the bureaucrats in the Vatican. I mean, the power brokers in the Vatican are particularly un- uncomfortable with this reforming pope. Matter of fact, that's some of the uh, behind the uh, behind the scenes talk that I've heard. One of the reasons uh, that uh, Benedict retired was because he didn't have enough energy to tackle 
the reforms that were going on, the, the, the bureaucratic reforms, the organizational reforms, cleaning out the corruption. And so it's interesting that these guardians— We're draining the swamp. These, we're draining the swamp. I mean, the first time I said it, I thought it sounds so silly, but you liked it that I started talking about it like I meant it. That's good. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that it's funny to me that the traditionalists, the defenders of the faith, are in bed with the people who— probably personify everything they think is wrong with the, with the church. It's just interesting to me what, what how politics makes strange bedfellows, but we've certainly been watch, witnessing that. I would guess so did David Bowie concerts. <laughs> <laughs> or did. God, the blessed memory, David Bowie. And then the other, the, the Protestant evangelical version was a piece by John Pavlovitz, who I do not know, but I we, really... We have, this is that the first time we've quoted him. Is it? I thought I, so. I thought yeah. it was, but yeah. maybe maybe it isn't. I don't know. Oh, is it? It is the first time you're saying. No, it's not. Oh, all right. Maybe we have quoted him then. Okay, John, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I forgot you, it, but hopefully I won't do it in the future. And he wrote this great piece for Relevant Magazine called "What the Continue Continued Crucifying of Rob Bell Says About Modern Christianity." Will we ever learn to disagree without immediately resorting to heretic? And, oh, editors note, a version of this article originally appeared on John Palfovitz.com uh, and first ran here in 2015, they says. He says, so it's an edited version, updated, because Rob Bell has a new book out and the <laughs> same things are happening. <laughs> so basically, you know, and I, I've read this book, Rob Bell's new book, and I actually talked with Rob Bell for give and take. And I, I, I was very moved by him and I liked him a lot. I mean, you liked I, him personally. A lot. I, I liked him personally. I like him. I just, I like him. I, I mean, that doesn't mean I agree with all of his ideas. Who do I agree? I don't even agree with all my own ideas. I don't think I do. I mean, because I don't know. what he, I sometimes I don't know. You, the other, a couple of weeks ago, you quoted something to me, and I was like, I don't think I said that. Like you did say it. I, I was like, I'm, it's not like I couldn't imagine saying that. <laughs> but I'm not sure I said it. So, I mean. Matter of fact, he, uh, you're, you're thinking about having a podcast by yourself. Well, yeah. It, it'll be a debate format. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, the other night after the podcast, I was extolling Charles Koch at dinner the other night. I mean, I you were, but you were getting you were getting a lot of pushback around the table. Yeah, I was, and not from me. No, 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 I was not. Yeah, it was they get from others. Uh, so, uh, and again, I don't agree with Charles Koch and everything, but this means wrong about about, about but, everything he thinks or but does. We would like to thank the Koch brothers today for, <laughs> for, for if if they would be a patron, we'd be very appreciative. So, uh, basically, this guy is saying that look. Uh, here's a summary statement. He's basically saying this is, and you could insert denomination here, right? Right. The problem is eating your young or your old or your peers. It's cannibalism. Uh, here's the, the heart of the problem here. Rob Bell was and is a bright, reasonable, thoughtful pastor. His extensive exploration of the scriptures and his life and ministry have yielded for him lots of questions and some answers that far too many Christians just don't want to deal with. It isn't as if he suddenly became less knowledgeable about the Bible. It's not as though he unlearned everything he ever knew about ancient Greek and Hebrew, the Hebrew language. He didn't become less intelligent or less creative or less authentic or less hungry for God. And again, he people, evangelicals used to really like him. He simply reached conclusions that he isn't supposed to reach, and that really sets off some members of his community. Christian leaders, those in your buildings and outside your walls, are more like Rob Bell than you want them to be. They're genuinely looking for God. They aren't afraid of the difficult questions as they search. They don't run from the tension between what they read in the Bible and what they experience every day. They're looking for a sturdy, usable faith that stands up to scrutiny, and a church that allows space for gray and gives out grace in it. They're looking for a faith community that doesn't dismiss and eliminate and destroy those whose conclusions don't all line up neatly with the party line. They want to 
to be part of a people who seek and wrestle and coexist, even in the questions. They're looking to find Jesus in the way Christians deal with one another. One wonders what the response to Rob Bell is teaching them about the church. It's probably not good. Yeah. You know, um, I do consulting, and uh, one of the things I consistently observe when you're looking at a a local church, and of course a lot of churches do a lot of things to survive financially. They share space with other faith communities. They have uh, preschools or nursery schools. You know, they bring in other organizations and whatever. So They sponsor podcasts to to do PR. (laughs) Um, One of the things I find that— Inevitably, when the church is struggling, that part that on paper they'll bring up issues about the different groups um, having problems in the building. It can be, well, whose closet is this? I'm, I'm serious. I've had conversations about whose closet, whose closet this is. Uh, they don't turn the lights off. Uh, we want to do this here. But if you've got there. enough issues, I mean, if you've got enough resources, you fight about who's in the closet. If you don't have as many resources, you fight about whose closet is this? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And so what strikes me is this is this is how anxiety of whether or not we're going to exist or not gets expressed. You know, it's 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 in terms of like in relationships, you know, people don't tend to fight over the big things because sometimes the big things either sometimes they rally in a healthy situations. They rally to the big things. But generally, the big things are so big, they're scary to talk about or scary to look at. So there's all kinds of skirmishes, and there's this kind of rhetorical new 30-year war going on. Uh, for those of you who didn't remember the first 30-year war, it was basically a, it was a religious war on one level. It was also an opportunistic war. Uh, some people made a lot of money out of it. Um, millions of people in Central Europe, particularly German-speaking folks, were devastated. It took Germany literally 200-plus years to recover from it. They're doing great now. They're doing fine now. Do you know one day in 2014, Germany, I think it was in May, like May, early, mid May, they got 100% of their daily electricity supply for the country from renewables. Oh, I read that. Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. It is Seven, amazing. Or average about 70 72%. That's amazing. And so we and you and I. Guten Tag. Movie <laughs> <Ruby> Gates. <laughs> uh, but uh, you, and I, you and I also mentioned on a little Facebook war that we periodically watched for, for probably perverse pleasure, but it was against the Anabaptists, Neo-Anabaptists and the Reform folks. And I think whether it's going after Rob Bell, and I always think it's hilarious when evangelicals go on heresy hunts because what, what is the magisterium? I mean, who's the authority? to You know, they don't, they don't have any central authority. The very nature of evangelicalism is it's not a theologically stated movement. It's, it's, it was more of a movement based on enthusiasm, experiential, uh, certainly had strong notions about the Bible. But in many ways, initially evangelicalism was kind of an ecumenical thing. It was a it was a cross-tradition movement. But now, you know, you periodically have folks who decide that their particular number of criteria um, is what constitutes orthodoxy. And of course, the trouble is, I mean, these are, you know, I, I make a distinction between heretics and people who are guilty of error. A, a heresy is something that actually has potential to destroy the very foundation of the faith. Traditionally, that's been around Trinitarian theology or 
who Jesus Christ is. But, you know, the history of uh, the, the, the bad history of religion is always expanding those categories based on religious notions, culturally conditioned ideas, and then saying this, our group is the in-group and, and the other group is the out-group. And, uh, you know, there's, obviously that's a sociological um, phenomena that's kind of happened ever since Tribe A saw Tribe B coming across the, across the hill. But this tribalism, this kind of um, tit for tat. I think you and I were talking off, uh, Mike. How much of it is really based on jealousy? Okay, yeah. This we part- should never talk off, Mike. We should have like Nixon tapes. That would be if you're a patron for fifty dollars a month. <laughs> we, will, Bill and I, will tape ourselves and just send it to you. Yeah, that would be. Then the, there would be the clock would begin ticking to the end of our career if that happened. But what? It, Maybe the birth of a new one. Birth of a new one. We get Billy Bush down here. <laughs> Uh, I'm just trying to bring this in, you know, help let me do it. But um, yeah, so this this kind of tribalism, uh, this kind of insecurity, and I think whether it's the insecurity of the extreme uh, traditional party in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, all the insecurities that flow around evangelicalism. And again, liberal churches, the mainline churches have do this all the time over any particular issue they can find a way to beat each other up over they do. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting that one of the things Palpovich, Palpovich makes, a point he makes in his piece is that the problem is that we only have two categories theologically, totality or heresy. And totality being, you know, you, you agree with me and everything I believe, and you kind of sociologically submit to, you know, my impinging reality or your heretic. And yeah, I mean, that that's, I mean, that's just... most of us don't have any kind of perspective. I mean, you know, we don't know what ideas uh, will be. Well, it's really interesting. You know, I was just thinking about John, the 21st chapter of John, the end of the 21st chapter of John, where basically Jesus tells Peter after he kind of reinstitutes him, restores him, says, hey, you know, it's it's okay. It's it's all right. You know, you're you're on the team. It's mostly all right. Feed my sheep. (laughs) It's very true, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter then turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper when he said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? I love it. Jesus answers, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. <laughs> he only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies these things and wrote them down. We know this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But that's just such a fascinating thing. Peter. Well, what about him? <laughs> you know? and, then, and then apparently years later, like the, the, the author of the gospel said, well, let me just qualify. He really didn't say this. I mean, he just said this. And then yeah, the legend that he's somewhere yeah. in some cave somewhere waiting for the return of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that legend even was persistent to the Middle Ages. And then I love the conclusion. Well, there's many things written down. That all the books couldn't contain them. And, yeah. And, all, you know, it's interesting because there are, there are many things that Jesus has done and is doing that all the books couldn't contain. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult 
to discern the signs of the time. It's it's difficult to to uh, figure out uh, what ideas are the right ones and what what ones are the wrong ones. And oftentimes, that's only decided when the when the people discerning it are you know, it's posthumously <laughs> with relationship right. to them. Right. You know, I, I think ultimately um, a liberal or heretical position that goes against, um, and it doesn't have to be liberal, it can be a reactionary position uh, that ultimately undermines the faith, will tend to be like a, a leave or like you're on a limb and you'll cut the limb off from the tree. You know, that tends to be the history of those things. Although some go on to have, you know, if you can take your ideas and move to Utah where nowhere else wants to be, <laughs> you can you can, you can can flourish. Right? A lot of people want to be in Utah these days. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Uh, what I find often in terms of uh, the reactionary sins, okay, the ones who are judgmental, who uh, are going to, I mean, they come very close often to blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is the unforgivable sin. I think sometimes those groups uh, end up creating a kind of, of moral heresy where in the name of truth, they fail to love as Christ loved. I mean, which is the fundamental failure. If that's that if if that is the great a new commandment, I give you you know a, a new commandment. Then in the name of truth, justice, which often really is in the name in of the insecurity, American way, in the name of in, insecurity, uh, they blaspheme against the mandate of Christ. So you know, there's a sense where we you know, I was we quoted uh, Halleck last time uh, where he talks about. Uh, there's only one thing that isn't a human. There's only two things that aren't a human notion that are that we can be totally sure of are not human notions in the Bible because they're so radical, and that's thou shall not kill, and that you you know are to love, uh, and so love as I have loved you. So it's it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of where I do think people. Um, Sometimes people who and I'm not this I have I'm, I'm in no way imposing any motives on Rob Bell or anyone else or Francis or Pope Francis for that matter. But I mean I do. Sometimes we test the boundaries for lots of different motivations. You know, um, just like sometimes we're reactionary uh, because of insecurity. Okay. I think sometimes people work out their cycle a different kind of neurosis or a different kind of struggle in trying to change the faith to a place that makes them more compatible. There's a, you know, we all try to hopefully. Yeah, but that would be exactly the argument against biblical criticism. No, that that no, I mean no. that that I mean you have you. I mean, ha- I mean being but driven, you, but you I'm ha- talking you, about being driven psychologically, not not in terms of okay, what are these tools? What do but, these but new tools? Had, but that's the thing. It's it's hard to learn. You had a dispute with a professor once, right, at a seminary you taught at, who who didn't like your views you on. You say Isaiah. once, once, right? Exactly. Who didn't like your views on Isaiah, right, right. and. He thought you had a little too many, a few too many Isaiahs. In your, he only had one Isaiah. Isaiah. Right, right. You had the three Isaiahs. Right. Many people have the three Stooges, you know, three, whatever. Right now. But I mean, you're basing ideas on consensus of modern biblical, language, modern theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but when that, when that is, is charted out, right, people say, well, these are the people that are, are, are bowing down to uh, the God of historical criticism, which is... Just a reaction it's to probably, enlightenment. It's probably a Germanic god, <laughs> right? Exactly. exactly. Odin. I am Odin. That's the American gods. Yeah, that's the big reveal in the end. It's Odin. It's great. But I mean, that, that's the thing. It, no one ever knows who is the one who is being reactionary or or reacting against the faith. We just don't know because retrospectively, those things are often only decided 
you know, and even, you know, you look at Rowan Williams' book on Arius. I mean, where he's trying to say, hey, not that we should have gone the other way, but a lot of times we look at Arius in ways that are probably helpful or, 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 or distorting. Yeah, yeah no, right. So I, I just I think, actually read that. I found that book really helpful. I'm glad Arius lost. Right. But it's, but we, but you have to be careful because the victors write the histories. Yeah. There's a new, there's a new book out that I've just started, uh, uh, called The Secret Book of Kings. It's like an international bestseller. It was written by a, a, a Jewish biblical scholar, but it's like the secret writings of the house of Saul. Uh, and so it's like a rewriting of first and second, first and <laughs> King. but from the, what, you know, we don't know, you know, the victors, the house of David won. So we don't know the perspective of the, the house of Saul. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Lindy and I were watching the show. We just kind of re engaged it. Like we let it go after, after season two, it's called turn Washington spies on AMC. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because like, the death of Major Andre, the way they portray it, you're really sympathetic to him. And, oh, yeah, and he's an honorable. Mean, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah, well, yeah, just read a history book and you know, you know, he's going to die. <laughs> he gets caught and he gets caught. Who wins the revolution? <laughs> Don't worry, no spoiler alert. The French. I knew that. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it and like, there are a few villains. Well, there's one villain in the whole thing and he's a sociopath. And then there are a few people who you like less and then come to like more. But I thought I was thinking about this and it's like all the kind of gray anti-hero sort of shows we like now. The, the people that you look at like a show like Breaking Bad, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and the reason you like one character uh, more at one point in the series than not another one. And one is, you know, like on one side of the law, one or the other. Like that doesn't matter. It's I think that like when people have a need for control and where their inability to control things uh, really cripples them and, and, and sort of exert, trying to exert more than the limits they're appointed as a creature. And I think that some of that, it, 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 you know, wherever we are on the ideological spectrum, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, people generally believe certain ideas because it, from some context, they are things that make sense of reality. Yeah. And I think that 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 doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but when you need the kind of control that nobody can think that idea, no matter where the reality is, I think that's where things inevitably break down because then the 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 idea becomes ideology in the worst sense, and and human being, I mean, humans uh, idea ideas, you know, are emerge from human beings, and ideology is created by and for human beings, not humans for ideology. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting, just even saying that. For instance, my engagement with with higher biblical criticism or whatever whatever you want to call it, I've only made it to lower biblical criticism. <laughs> was actually a liberating thing for me because I grew up in you know a Bible. I was just soaked with the Bible. I had whole chapters of the Bible. I had most of the books, some books of the Bible. You ever memorized. soaked in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> what you ever soaked in the Bible, like woodchuck pulp? No, no, never did that. Surprised no one ever thought of that. No, no, it could work. But anyway, I took the Bible so seriously from an early age, knew so much of it, and it had all it created all these problems for me. And um, more learning some biblical criticism gave me frameworks. Uh, it rescued the Bible for me. It, you know, now, but I understand that alongside of that kind of uh, the crisis of you know you know dealing with an inerrant book that's full of contradictions for me. 
the ground was Christ was always a ground was not a ground that was in question for me, and that has but that also is rooted in having this amazing role model of of who of someone who loved Jesus that that was unshakable. You know, uh, my grandmother's love for me was unshakable, and that was to me totally associated with Jesus. So I can understand if you don't have you know my non being threatened, not being threatened by biblical criticism, but welcoming it and and using it to further my love for the Bible. I understand that that is as much condition as those who find it very threatening. So I think for me, it's a matter of kind of managing, you know, we all manage manage our neuroses or try to anyway. And we all kind of pick the errors we can live with and not. I think, as you say, being reminded that there's only one person in the privileged position and there's no cliff notes from that person so far. What we have is the revelation of God in Christ. And he threw us the keys of the kingdom. So I think we should, like I said, we should be careful not only that we don't wreck the car on a regular basis, which we do, but he didn't give us the keys of the kingdom to run over each other either. I just wish I knew as much about the Bible as you did. <laughs> Then you'd have to go relive my childhood, which I, it was good for me. I'm not, I'm not necessarily recommending it for everyone. So be nice to each other. Be kind to yourself, be kind. actually. You know what? I think the other thing, if you disagree with someone, and I've been, this is something of spiritual discipline I've been trying to, to be a little bit better at. You know, if you disagree with them, then you need to pray for them twice as much as you disagree with them. I like that. That sounds like a good. You know. Could lead, or suddenly there'll be a movement out there. Exactly. There'll be a couple How many times are you praying for Then there'll be a reform movement for Bill's new version of the law. I, I like have to that. pray for people I don't like. I like that. And be kind to yourselves. Children glad 
Oh, my child.